And we're right back at it here with the In Squash Podcast, episode 286 today with friend of the podcast, RJ Mitchell, formerly of Squash Mad, where we uh, put together some of the very best and most intriguing squash writing that we've seen in a very long time. Uh, today, RJ and I talk about how we see things on the tour currently, uh, especially now that we've got uh, the Windy City Open uh, in our midst. Uh, hopefully this episode gets out before the, the end of of that event we'll be talking a little bit about what's going on in that event uh, but in particular uh, how things look at the top of both the men's and women's games uh, he also gives us uh, an exciting update in terms of what he's been doing now that he's moved on uh, from squash mat so looking forward to hearing uh, about all about that but first though open squash where the mission is of course growing the game uh, and making it more accessible to everyone open squash currently sponsors is the very best uh, in the game. Gina Kennedy on the women's side, fresh off a big five-game win in Chicago over the very dangerous Civis Supermanium. Uh, Victor Quint, who impressively took out Greg Lobin and now faces Tarek Moman at this point uh, as I speak. And uh, world number one, Ali Frag, who continues uh, to look unstoppable. He's up against... Uh, I believe it's Kareem Abdul-Gawad. Uh, in fact, uh, now with Open Squash, Ali has taken on the role as senior senior advisor. Uh, so that's, that brings with it some exciting uh, new initiatives, I'm sure. Now, each summer, Open Squash puts on an uh, amazing clinics given by some of the game's very best coaches. And this summer is no exception. Uh, legendary Harvard head coach Mike Way, former world number one and Drexel head coach John White, along with Gina Kennedy and Victor Quinn and several other highly respected coaches. They'll be putting on summer camps and clinics throughout the summer. So uh, I encourage you to visit opensquash.org if you're interested and sign up for one of these uh, camps. And if you do so before March 1st, you can avail yourself of the early bird discount. So check that all out at opensquash.org. And now let's get into this show right away. Episode 286 with RJ Mitchell. Uh, RJ, uh, so fa- it's fantastic to have you back on. Uh, I like to refer to you as a friend uh, of the podcast. Uh, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, this is either, I think this is your third uh, visit to the pod, either third could, or could fourth. Be, could, yeah. be, could be four, actually. Could be four, but first, yeah. But yeah. first in my new role. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to get into that. I'm looking forward to uh, having you flesh that out a bit for us. I know you've moved on uh, from Squash Mad, so you, you can tell us a bit about uh, what you've got going on that's new and exciting. Uh, but also uh, exciting is uh, the PSA Tour right now. Uh, I know when the season, when last season ended, I I sort of suspected that uh, Ali Farag would end up uh, at the top of the heap, but I didn't yep. expect the domination that I'm seeing right now. Uh, let's start there, if you don't mind. We'll look at the women's side as well. But uh, you know, yep. his dominance, yep. uh, to me, anyways, it's uh, it, he's as dominant as anyone has been in recent memory uh, yep. right now. Yep. I mean, at, at the rate that he's going, he he lost in uh, Hong Kong. That's it. Yeah. Uh, yep. And uh, you know, for you know, beginning the season, I, I kind of thought you know he could end up at number one for sure. But yep. I didn't see him dominating uh, uh, in this way. So, uh, just one of wondering uh, what your thoughts are on that, and how you think uh, he's managed to take it to this level that's beyond everyone else. Well, it is quite incredible um, when you consider that basically, uh, what was it this time last year? 
Um, people didn't really know, you know, whether how far he was going to make the. You know, he's come back after knee injury. His whole career was under under jeopardy, under threat. Um, so it's amazing how he came back and then last year was able to win British and World in the same year. The first man to do so since Jan Khan, mm -hmm. uh, joining Jan joining Jahangir and joining the great uh, Jeff Hunt. So only four men in history have done it. So to me, that tells you that Ali Farag is a special player and 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 should be given the respect of, of that achievement, you know. And I don't think he always gets that because he's such a nice guy, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, he comes. Um, isn't that that's amazing? Like he comes off that way. All he's just so nice and so humble, yeah. and he's so uh, understated for a guy who's been so dominant. Yeah, but all the time he's he's ra ratcheting up, notching these victories. Now, uh, you mean four world championships? So what's that? Is he drawn level with Shabana now? I think, mm -hmm. um, and of course, Shabana didn't win British and world in the same season. So you have to say he's now gone above Shabana. Obviously, a sure. The great talent, unfulfilled in injury ravaged, right? We'll never know. But if you if you look at the nearer contemporaries and uh, the, the 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 champion list, if you want, uh, going back in the last few years, um, you know, Mohamed El Shabagi only won world. Mm. You know, um, I, off the top of my head, not sure how many British, maybe two. Um, a Gregory Gautier. You know, um, the, the, these guys, you know, don't have now what Ali has got. And we, we're about to debate whether the best is, is still to come. Um, mm. And that's what's really interesting. So if the best is still to come, or, or if it's not, it means that somebody's going to have to break that dominance. And the number two player in the world is Diego Elias. And do you know what his head-to-head -head is with Ali? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I know, um, I, I can't, I, I think he may have gotten one or two. 23-2. Yeah. And, and the last time <laughs> Diego got, got the W against Ali came at the US Open when, of course, knee stopped play. Yeah. So yeah. I, that's, that's, so that's what, 14, 15 months ago. That's quite staggering, isn't it, really? Um, so, you know, it really is uh, very interesting. Um, I was speaking to Peter Marshall uh, recently, a former world number two, mm. uh, for a for an interview for my uh, new um, activities, shall we say? And uh, of course, he he'd been in that position where he tracked a long-standing dominant number one, a legend, Jan Sharkan. Uh, and then, and ultimately, when he he started knocking on the door, illness robbed him of it. And and we 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 were in the interview. We went through what the different aspects are, and uh, he made some very interesting points. Primarily that um, Diego's body shape is against him. He's a bigger guy. He's the heavier guy. Not in any way because he's out of shape, just because he's got a bigger bone structure. Um, and the the the, the rallies when they're drawn out take more out of him than Ali Farag. And and Peter's point um, in, in the interview, well, one of them was that um, he's got to learn to shorten the rallies to kill yeah. the point earlier because, and we see it again and again in their head-to-head, -head. you know, the first two games can be absolutely epic and then Diego drops off. He tends to have a spell where either physically, and the other point Peter made, mentally, there's a drop-off. Mm. And Ali Farag, very clever man. What is it, Harvard? 
uh, you know, yeah. uh, so Harvard he, engineering. Yeah. So he, <laughs> he can smell it. He can sniff it. He can whiff it uh, when somebody's beginning to go, beginning to shake. And and he knows that this that, that there will always come a point in these hard matches if he makes it so hard that Diego is going to have questions asked of him. And let's be honest, he, he's not been able to answer those questions. So he's a number two player in the world and, and he, he ain't got a win over Ali in, you know, well, a couple of years, 18 months, whatever. However, Paul Cole. Now, Paul Cole has won their last two meetings. I think the US Open and I think Hong Kong. Two epic five-setters, one 12-10 the fifth, one 11-9 the fifth, if memory serves. And and Cole seemed to have developed his game again. The, there was much greater variety of shot in the front corners. I mean, the, the metronomic efficiency of his backcourt game was still there. But now... Uh, there was much more that he could hurt Ali with and, and keep him off balance. There was a delay. There was a hold. There was disguise. And, and they were mightily successful at the end of last year. And then he lost to Victor Cruan at, at TOC. A bad one, you know, one that's taken yeah. sucks some air out of the sails, robbed him of vital momentum when people were thinking, well, poof, is, is Paul called back? Is this going to be another Paul call Ali Farag matchup? We're looking forward to it after the last two didn't quite happen. So very interesting there. You know, I mean, and then if you look at the other two guys, uh, and I, I may be jumping jumping on a wee bit. But, no, no, um, no. Uh, keep yeah. going. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll, uh, I've got some thoughts, but yeah, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mustafa Asal obviously mm. has had his problems uh, regarding movement, possibly temperament. We know about the bands. That's ancient history. He hooked up with James Wilstrop to, to you know, sort things out. Uh, movement wise and and has completely turned himself around and is now the absolute antithesis of, of what he was in terms of he's now non-confrontational um you know <laughs> he, he's not he's almost too passive and there yeah. ain't no aggressive um so and so has that robbed him of some of his fire mm. well that's what Big i was question. i mean that's one of the points that i was going to make uh rj is uh you know when we got to assault um is that i i just in my estimation, yes, you're right. Absolutely. He's turned it around. It's like night and day the way he is out there on the court and the stuff that he's worked on. I guess that element of it is what he's been, is what James Wilstrup has brought to the table. But is that, I mean, he doesn't have that edge that he used to no. have. I mean, no. uh, it's robbed him of his edge. So it's a good thing, but it's also, he's got to find that hunger. I mean, when he was winning in the way that he was winning before there was all, there was that fire that he had he had a yep. fire about him and that was great to watch it wasn't great to watch all that other stuff a lot of the time but yep. it was great to see him he was different and he played the game differently than everyone and now yep. i think uh, to, to agree with you there um uh he's lost that bit there's a bit of an edge that's gone and i think he's suffering and hopefully you know his team sees that and finds yep. a way of injecting that back into his game because he's that's part of him. That's part of what yeah. makes us all us all, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, and I and I wonder whether a bit of enjoyment of the game has left him because of that. Mm. Because he, he, you know, he's had to, you know, d dampen the fire, dampen the fire, douse the fire. You know, I, I wonder if you know it, it really the the adrenaline rush. You know, the buzz, these wild celebrations at the end of these big victories. You know, um, and uh, you know, obviously, 
losing in Houston to Mason Hesham, the Squash Falcon. Um, mm. That that would have been pretty sore, although obviously he did beat him in Florida at the beginning of the year. Um, but uh, yeah, so he, uh, there's questions still to be asked. The jury's out on whether this move, this move to sanitise his performance and, and make him squeaky clean has actually been more detrimental than beneficial. That's the bottom line here. And at, at the moment, hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, definitely he's still those parts of his game that make him so special. You can see they're there. But he's. Uh, it seems like he's. You know, for him, he's very passive right now, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know that that edge is gone. But I was gonna. I mean, you you brought up uh, Diego and Paul. I just want to ask you a couple questions about them now. In terms of Diego, uh, it's just for me. Like you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, he has he struggles a little bit physically. Uh, it's his the size of him compared to the the Jancher like uh, frame of uh, yep. of uh, Ali Farag. Absolutely. Reads the game so well and moves so well and anticipates so well and and uh, but for me uh, with Diego it just seems like uh, when the going gets tough and like when he gets down a bit it's the six inches uh, between the ears uh, yeah. for me like it, you can just see it was a you know power used to do that sometimes when he would st- when he'd be losing to P- the guys like Peter Nickel or David Palmer you you could just see it, it was in his face he didn't. Yeah. He didn't want to go there. Or he didn't want to knuckle down, and uh, yep. I'm not sure if that's the case with Diego. But I, uh, to me, it seems like it might be. Well, I think the big thing is you can see it, I can see it, and Ali Farag can see it, and Ali Farag can feel it. He's there right next to him. I mean, I think if he's he, he's busting up, the last thing he wants to do is to get the old Morse code out and send the signals, you know? I yeah. mean, I mean, it's like he's sending the smoke signals. I'm I'm gone. I'm bust. I'm taking a break here. You know, the end of this game's got too tough for me. Uh, I've chucked it already. You know, I'm off the court ready to regroup. Now, uh, the, it, it, it's obvious. You can, you can see when it's happening, when he's going away. And um, I'm surprised that his corner, his coaching crew, haven't worked on that to, to really, you know, wait a minute. We need to get a mask. You've got to have the game face on, and and you you show nothing. You give you give nobody anything. Now mm. imagine if he's playing these five setters, and all of a sudden the face is you know absolutely steel. You know that there's no, there's no emotion there. You know, I yeah. mean, if he starts sending out that signal, then you know yourself it's it's harder to work out if somebody's projecting the same determined aura. All right, you can tell if they are going physically a bit, but. Uh, I personally think that uh, the mental issue might be bigger than the physical. Yeah, because he's got. I mean, he's got the game. He uh, definitely has the game, the movement, and like you mentioned there, I mean, he's got he's got power esque shot making, right? Like he can he can pull off shots. He's shown that he can pull off shots from anywhere. Winners, pretty much from anywhere. But he chooses, you know, to play the, that that languid uh, game yeah. that he plays, and it's a beautiful game to watch. Against Ali, like you said, though, I think he's got to maybe maybe do something a little bit different. Although, you know, yeah. he did take them to five uh, the last time they played. It was close. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they go to five quite regularly. Mm. I, I mean, that's not the problem. The problem is that uh, he's not winning the key games in those five. And yeah. in, 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 in each time, that, or in each match, there is an occasion when he, he well, he chucks it. He takes a wee sabbatical, you know. Mm. He, he seems to need some breathing space. And uh, 
and and this the Langwood game, you, as you state, you know, where he almost. I mean, Jonah Barrington referred to him in his column a couple of months back as a, a stately Spanish galleon, the way he sails along, you know. But yeah, but you know yeah. what? It's a bit like the swan on, on the water. On the top, it's all grease, but underneath, it's kicking like Billy-O to, you, to move. And, and he's working. He's having to work. And the problem is, you know, maintaining that level throughout over the five sets with the bigger frame, you know, the, there's a penalty there, you know. It's a bit like Dittmar, uh, you yeah. know. I, again, Jonah Barrington referred to him as the greatest ever left-hander for an hour, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and, for an hour, yeah. for an hour, and uh, yeah. a, a much like, uh, ironically, much like Chris Dittmar, right at the moment, Diego mm. Ellis has been number one, but he ain't never won a major. Yeah, no. Uh, I think if he can, you know, like you said, if he can, his team can figure out. So I, I think the 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 big person behind De- or the, the the big thing behind Diego right now is his father. I, I think he's the guy who's doing a lot of the the work with Diego. I don't know. He was with uh, Whale El Hindi. I think that ended, uh, and I'm not sure exactly who he's working closely with. But I think his father is at all the events and coaches in between games. Um, so hope, I mean, he's obviously got his uh, best interest in mind and, and is probably recognizes all of this. So, uh, but in terms of Paul Cole, like, and you meant, uh, he's the guy for me, he's the guy who is the one who could take, uh, take over number one from Ali. He's, he's proven that he can do it. And I think, as you mentioned, he has the ability to play that game where he's deceptive uh, and he's done it against Ali. But he, uh, I mentioned on the previous podcast that I did, I, I just find sometimes he, when the going gets tough, sometimes he goes into default mode, which is a more predictable uh, variety of uh, Cole, which is also very, very good. Um, but it's not good enough to to disturb Ali. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could say there's been... Three Mark Paul Paul Cole marks a Paul Cole one Superman ultra fit coming through. You know I'm going to keep you on court for three days. You know you ain't getting off until dinner on the fourth one. Paul Cole obviously Rob Owen working on him. A you know started to develop his game and of course won the British Open. What was it 2022 without dropping a game? I think possibly the first man since uh, Jahangir to do so. And he looked absolutely dominant. And and he he broke Ali. He broke Ali Farag. You know, he, he really looked like he had him in his pocket. And then I, I don't know what happened. I don't know whether it was staleness. Um, I mean, some people have spoken to me, have, have suggested that perhaps there was a physical issue there um, mm. that, that maybe was impacting his performance. I don't know what it was, and and to 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 for his in his favour, he's never ever alluded to that. There's been absolutely no from the the call yeah. camp coming out. So you know, fair play to him if there was. Um, and then Mark three at the end of last season, much more variety, mm-hmm. uh, being much braver with his shots, the hold etc. Um, and and also interesting to see that Rodney Martin was appearing in the corner. Uh, and uh, I think it was HK, was it, or was it the US, or was it both? Might well have been. Yeah, and, and obviously, Rod, Rod Martin and uh, Rob Owen, obviously very good friends. Yeah, yeah. A collaboration. I think they're a they're probably a meeting of coaching minds. So mm. it all looked pretty damn good. And uh, the other thing is that um, Ali Farag isn't going to break Paul Call in fitness. No. no if, if anything, it could be the other way. You know. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, so I, I'm very interested in whether the Victor Cruan result, and let's face it, Victor had a great week in, in Big Apple. Fantastic week. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. really, really pulled it together. Never seen him play as well as he, as he did in, in that particular match, arguably. He's possibly his best performance on the PSA World Tour. You know, who's not to yeah. say? So is that a blip for Paul Cole? A, 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 a superb one-night stand in NY for, for Victor? Or is Paul Cole, you know, I mean, I think he's got a very interesting match against another Frenchman. Masotti. Masotti, yeah, yeah. Masotti's uh he's a he's always in for a tough battle, you yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. And he, he's an interesting character. Masotti, he's got flair, he's fiery. I mean, he is I, I don't want to disparage him, but he's almost what a Sal was in terms yeah. of the fire, the flair, the having a go, you know, yeah. with without the uh, I mean I was going to refer to him as a Sal light. Uh, but that that would be a bit unfair. You but you, you can you see where I'm coming from, you know. Yeah, I mean, no, no, exactly. He's yeah. an adrenaline player, you know. Uh, yeah. A touch of the Gallic uh, genius about him. So interesting game for Paul Cole. Paul Cole, you know, let's see where he goes with this with this tournament and whether he bounces mm. back. But you you would have to say the big difference between Paul Cole and everybody else there, excluding Mohammed El Shabagi, and I'm sure we'll come to him. Is Paul Cole is a major winner. Yeah. He's been number one. He's a major winner. And when he was a major winner, he had control of Ali Farag for a while during that year, 21-22. And he's yeah. the only man really that's done it, you know? Uh, so, and, and that's obviously still in there, you know? Uh, so, very interesting year. But, you know, I'm with you, Jerry. You look at the evidence now and you think, providing there's a response to the Victor Cruan defeat, that uh, Paul Cole looks the likely lad. Yeah, no, definitely. And, uh, you know, Styles, as they say, Styles make fights. And, and I yep. think, uh, you know, Paul has that style that would give uh, Ali a bit, a bit of trouble. He's not, yeah. he's not going to be, I, I mean, Ali, he's deceptive, but he's not as deceptive. You know, he's not overly deceptive. He plays tight squash. He, he moves you around the court, yep. uh, but that's all stuff that, um, I think Paul can handle. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, and and has done recently. Yeah, you know, they uh, they uh, in, in successive finals. So very very interesting to see how how it pans out at the Windy City. Absolutely. Now I know uh, you're you're a huge fan of Mezen uh, Hisham, and I wanted to get to these guys. To I guess Mezen and uh, Mohammed Al Sherbagi are, are the the guys that are just kind of looking up to uh, the others that are above them. But uh, I mean, they're both capable of. Uh, of definitely uh, getting there themselves, but Mezen's a guy that I know you you really appreciate, and I think we all do. Anyone who watches him play, just you know, it's mind boggling the, the the shots that he can play and the way yeah. that he plays. Uh, Absolutely, tell us, uh, I mean, to me, uh, you know, great. He he can pull off some wins, big wins against the best in the world. But does uh, is he capable of sort of taking it to the next level? Yeah, at well, the very next level. Well, if you look at Houston, he put away Asal and he put away El Shabagi on mm. successive nights, and then he was bust by the time he got to Farag. Um, that's everybody's problem. Mm. Ali Farag plays with such an economy of movement, and he's got the body shape where you know it's not taken out of him as it is others, and the way he plays, you know, the control that he exerts. He kind of glides through the early rounds. 
So he's usually he's routinely fresh when he gets to a semi-final, quite often pretty fresh when he gets to a final. Whereas for Mies and Hesham to beat these guys, I mean, they were both big five-set matches. And and arguably, that's the best tournament of Mason's career. Yeah. Now, it's yeah. it's not a major, but you look at the names that he had to beat to get to, to, get to the final, Asal and Mohamed El-Sharbagi, these are major wins for him. Mm. So you can see he's got it in his locker, but, you know, there, there's two... I mean, it, it happened... Uh, I'm sure he played... Ali in the semi-final of the British Open was it last year, and he was he, he was he was bust by the time he got to that semi-final. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and and this is the problem for these guys getting through the previous rounds without taking too much collateral damage, and moving on to Mohammed, mm. he's thirty-three now, just turned thirty-three in January. I mean, he's been around the top of the game. I, I don't know how many times he's been number one. You know, I, I mean, tremendous. You know, a, a level of consistency. And when when his his forum dropped off a couple of years ago, you know he, he came raging back, um, but it, he just hasn't. I mean, he came very close to beating Ali Farag in a World Open final. Let's face it, you know oh, yeah. he was not yeah. far away. He looked like he was going to do it, so he has yeah. been close. But he's accruing niggling injuries that are, of you know, if you look over the last couple of years, there's been wee wee issues where he's maybe played with an injury and then it's got worse. And that that keeps you know taking momentum away and all the rest of it, and and you know the body has to pick up the bill eventually. Yeah. Um, so c- can Mohammed go the whole way through? Well, he's playing Mason Hesham tomorrow night in the quarterfinal. Uh, and yeah, that'll uh, be it. That, that's the pop. Get the popcorn out for that one. Uh-huh. To me, that's the acid <laughs> test. Absolutely, that's the acid test for both these guys. Yeah. Because Mason will know that Mohammed El Shabagi will come out absolutely. That's going to be a great match. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that'll yeah. be a great. I mean, Mohammed is going to be he'll, the beast. Will be he'll be in beast mode. He will uh, be the kitchen one. sink. Will be getting thrown. Yeah, but then so I mean, it's, yeah, we'll see what Mason's all about tomorrow night. I think because Whoa. he's going to get the best, the very best Mohammed, no doubt. And yeah, Mezzan's yeah, yeah, yeah. in form. He's young, uh, young, younger than uh, than Mohammed, yeah. obviously, and playing some really good squash. Uh, he's Mohammed's going to test him mentally, and that and that's going that's another sort of, you know, you've, yeah. we've seen we've all seen Mezzan uh, hit like eight tens in a row or, or in yeah. some matches, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but not so much now. No, that, that's that no, side no. of his game is 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 beginning to recede into the dim and distant past. So I hope so. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, sometimes but... you might do. I mean, you know, squash is one of these games where you. We've all seen Shabana do that a few times. You know, he'll. Yeah, that, that's the thing. We you, you get Jerry. you get your break, right? You yeah, you yeah. you feel gassed. I'm not going to waste. I'm not going to waste my time here in this game. I'm going to he let him play the points, and I need a break, and we'll play the yeah. fifth. But yeah. but I think I think that the other aspect is that with, with short players, flair players like Shabana, like Mason Hesham you are going to miss because it's a high-risk game. The, 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 the key for him is when to play the high-risk squash, you know, not to overplay the hand. And and, and that's where I think he's got a lot better. Um, but that, that, that this is a hell of a match-up between them. I, I mean, if, if Mason can win this match, he's really starting to make a strong case for himself as as a, a major title danger man. And... and you know, if if uh, Mohammed loses again to him, well, you know the the, the old uh, father time question. You know, 
turns up at the back of the at the court, you know. Um, yeah. But but nobody does motivation and the ability to to get himself pumped up and stoked than uh, Mohamed El Shabagi. Oh. So I, I'll have to be honest with you. I think Mohamed El Shabagi will win that game. You think so? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I'd have to agree with you on that. But uh, you know, Mezen's proven us yeah, wrong yeah. recently in terms of you know his, his late in Houston. Great performance yep. there. So absolutely can, uh, yep. build on that, which is what we're yep. hoping. Uh, we all hope yep. uh, that he does well. So yeah. Uh, uh, now, uh, just in terms of the the women's game, uh, RJ, let's move on there. Uh, a mirror image almost to the men's game in terms of who's number one and dominating. And and from yep. my mind, uh, I didn't really have as much faith in Nor in Nor uh, getting to number one. I figured she she could be, but just uh -huh. physically, she always sort of seemed to you know she yeah. suffered with a lot of injuries. Uh, of course, over the, the last couple of years. But uh, I mean, you know, she's dominated. I mean, she's dominated. Uh, Qatar was the only blip with, with a mommy beater uh, there. Yeah. But uh, I mean, what what is it about uh, uh, Nor that that you see that's making it so difficult for you know potentially these two young ladies who are trying to uh, overtake her? Well. I think the bottom line is she just has more game than they do. Mm. There is more to her game. She can hurt you. She can hold you. You know, she can do what she wants. And she's good enough and accurate enough to ensure that she gives herself the platform to do to do the damage, to do the, you know, the headline act, you know, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the flare play. Um, mm. and, and now... She's got such a body of work behind her in terms of the major titles. Oh, yeah. She's got so much experience. I mean, this girl's been going since she was 16. She yeah. played Laura Massaro in a World Open final when she was still a schoolgirl, for God's sake. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. How long, how long has she been in the top five? Like 15 years or something? It's well, like a long time. It's a long, yeah. a long time, yeah. yeah. 15, so, uh, almost 15 years, I think. Yeah, so I, I think... The key to Noor El Shabini's chances of doubling up on uh, title defences of the uh, British and world is, is her own fitness. Um, if she's fit and she's firing, then uh, she's still the woman to beat. And and that's because um, for all Nurin Gohar has been working with Rod Martin for a while now and, and, and obviously adding looking to add layers and, and develop her game, principally front court attack, um and, and get away from the over reliance on power. Um she still to me comes across as a natural default is a bit one di dimensional. You yep. know, the, 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 it's just, it's not natural for her. Now, uh, you can work very hard and you can make all kinds of changes and you can you can add these attacking uh, shots to your arsenal. We just talked about Paul Cole. Yeah. He, he's done it, you know. So it can be done, but when you come up against Sherbini, who's just got all these shots and knows when to play them at exactly the right time, you know, you know whereas I, I often feel that with, with Nuran Goha, it's... Um, What's the word? Uh, painting by numbers. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think out of Nuran Gohar and Hanya Elhamani, Hanya Elhamani's got the better chance um, because the other aspect is, and she's done this two or three times now. She's beaten them both in the same tournament. The, the only the only person to do so, and she has won a British. You know, um, mm. albeit she lost to Amanda Sobe. I think was it the the semi-final, the quarter-final in the defence of that the next year. But 
she she has a mentality. The, the, the big problem for Hanya is every time she plays Nuran Goha, it's an hour and a half. And, and I don't care who you are, that's going to take it out of you when Sherbini's sitting there and she's been doing her crocheting while the match has been going on, being put <laughs> the kettle on, you know? Yeah. Enjoying yeah. her box. Not of only is it an hour, it's an hour and a half, it's a bloodbath. Yeah, an yeah, hour and yeah, a half bloodbath. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not just there's just not a physical price there. There's an emotional price there because yeah. these these two want to beat each other more than life itself. So, uh, uh, you know, obviously that's a massive disadvantage when you're going in a final against Sherbini, who has probably got there on the back of a three zero. Mm. So, uh, what 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 Hamami will need to do is to find a, gate, a way to elevate her game to be able to take care of Goha for less attritional damage. And, and and that's tough because, as you mentioned earlier, styles, you know, styles. And, and their, their styles make for a great match, you know? Yeah, yeah, make absolutely. Make for a great match. Great now match. For, I was going to ask you, uh, just going back to uh, Goha, I mean, she's, uh, I still lo- I love watching her play. I love watching the you know just the ferocity with which she she hits the ball. And I saw her I saw her play live a couple times here in Dubai. More and I you know, saw her practicing. It was just phenomenal, right? Phenomenal. Uh, yeah. But um, I'm just you know the, the, a few times. I think the last few times she's had leads. She I, well, I'm not sure if it was too love or she she was well up against uh, Sherbini and then she just seemed to tighten up. Uh, I'm not sure what that. I don't know if, what that's all about, but you, I would have thought that maybe Mark, Rod Martin would have been able to, you know, identify, you know, that or, or work on that, work on that mental side of it, or maybe he is, or maybe they are working on it, and it's just as we spoke about earlier, a bit of default mode when, 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 uh, when it's time to 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 shut the door, kind of thing. I, I think it's called scar tissue. Yeah, you know, when you you've taken so many sore ones in so many major finals against somebody, then it's a problem, you know? Mm. And and let's go back to Diego and Ali, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's an issue. And that, that's going to be a tough one to change. She needs a big W against her. And she yeah. needs to beat her in a major final to really, you know, to really get, get the self-belief. And that once she could, she's got that big win in her... You would imagine she would she would relax that little what, bit more. What is it? She... It just came to mind, RJ. Like, what is it about squash? Because it's like that for everyone who plays the game. I mean, you've got your bogeyman. I've got my bogeyman. Uh, and there, there just seems to be no way of getting over it. Uh, it, it just seems like squash is that way. It may be tennis to a certain degree. But uh, uh, what is it about the game that, that causes that to happen? Do you think? I mean, it it, it it's happened over the years so many times for so many yeah, yeah. different players at the high. I mean, you get guys who dominate the game, and and guys who are just, or you know they're good enough to do it, but it, it's it's they just can't get through, break through. Yeah, I, I I'm not sure whether it's the whole intensity of it. You know, it's two people in a box. As I said earlier, you can feel the other guy going, you can see him going, you can hear him going. You know, it's very hard to hide if there's a weakness, you know. Uh, so whether it's that, I don't know. But, it, you know, it, always, it almost always seems that when you get an era of dominance, then out of nowhere, somebody comes and uh, then seems to have the answer, seems to have the antidote. Um, with, with Jahangir, ultimately, 
probably he was coming to the end of his shelf life for the, yeah. the game that he played. And and obviously he was, he gave Janshir a few years. Uh, if you take it back further to um, Jonah Hunt, Jeff, uh, sorry, Jeff Hunt, Jonah Barrington, then, you know, similar there. Heather Mackay, unbeaten for 19 years, 16 yeah, British yeah, yeah. Opens. I mean, the woman routinely said to be the greatest woman player of all time. However, uh, Nurel Sherbini's made Jonah Barrington uh, revisit his opinion on that now. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, I yeah. mean, that, that's come up for discussion. I've seen it on several squash forums and in, in a few publications. You know, yep. the debate now is, uh, is she in the conversation? Obviously, she is. But yep. uh, to what degree is she there? And, uh, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, first of all, if Jonah Barrington says, then I'm not going to disagree with him. And there's, there's, a, there's one big reason why, because Jonah Barrington saw Heather Mackay in her prime. I believe that he actually hit with her. He, he was on court with her. And, and a piece of work that I've done with him that will be uh, getting shared soon um, he said that the first time he came across her, which was at the Bruce Court in the Lansdowne Club, his base, he could hear from 30 metres this ball getting hit and it was like a cannon. And he, he thought to himself, so who's this guy? Was some new guy <laughs> coming, you know, and all the rest yeah. of it. And then he, he went up onto the balcony and it, it, was, it, was, it was Heather Mackay. Now, I know that uh, Nuran Gohar's practices are, are similar in terms of the sound of the ball striking the, the wall. But um, yeah, so Jonah, as you know, I'm lucky enough to, to help with the editor, to, to editorial production of his column, and he, he has rev revised his opinion. He believes that Nur El Shabini is the greatest female player of all time. Um, although... Uh, you know, he, he, he's absolutely certain that if you could transport great champions from era to era, that Heather Mackay in her prime would have no problem adapting to the, the modern game mm. and, and being right in there. But, you know, I, I, you, can, you can't argue with that because you didn't see Heather in her prime. And, no. and, and the, the problem with the past is that it's black and white photos, isn't it? It's grainy no. footage. They don't do the champions justice. I mean, we know everything, and it's all technology and yeah. the, the whole game. The game is different, uh, so it's you know this is a yeah. fun debate yeah. to have, but uh, yeah, it's yeah. difficult. You can't really say one way or the other. <laughs> and, and the technological issues that have that have stopped squash developing media wise in terms of bringing across the intensity, the ferocity, the athleticism of our sport are exactly why it's almost impossible for somebody 50 years later to sit judgment on these great champions of the past. Never mind the fact that you've almost got a completely different stroke because you're having to hit so much harder because of wooden rackets. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, uh, now, before we, uh, uh, I don't want you to take us into what, what's going on uh, new uh, with you uh, since your move away from Squash Mad. But before that, I just, there was something that came up. It was in the uh, the last match. I think it was the the, the uh, Miguel Kareem Abdul Gawad match. I could be mistaken, but uh, Joey had mentioned and PJ mentioned that uh, there was something uh, about banter with the referees and uh, guy, players being sort of, 
you know, a bit apprehensive about turning around now, or players aren't allowed to turn around now, or even look at the referee. Now, I'm not sure Joey has usually, you know, he's got quite the sense of humor, so he could have been just there. Could have been a a little bit of tongue in cheek there, or could have been something that he's privy to. Uh, I hadn't heard anything about that lately, but maybe you have. I've not heard anything about it, but I certainly a. Was it was um, Diego Elias and uh, Ali Farag the, the, in their last encounter, and it did strike me that Diego was barely allowed to open his mouth, mm. and uh, you know, uh, to me, we're losing some of the theatre if the players aren't allowed to have some kind of dialogue, and also, I actually think it's a little bit disrespectful for these guys because the players are the sport. And and you know they've they've got a right to actually say well well wait a minute I don't agree with that within reason clearly yeah, within yeah. reason right uh, but but the referee has his sanctions you know in terms of conduct stroke conduct warning whatever so he's got his sanctions there but you know treat these guys like adults they're world class professionals who are absolutely slogging themselves into the ground to to produce great squash for us all to dine out on so you know. Get, look, let let the guy say something, you know. And and but the other thing is, if you're a punter in the crowd, or if you're you're at home listening to Uncle Joey with his uh, his commentary, doing a great job as always, then uh, you know it adds to the experience if there's a bit of interaction between players and referee. You know, it's a talking point. I mean, we we we've done it before on previous podcasts when we've talked about Asal. You know, it's, I think we devoted quite a quite substantial part of one podcast to Asal's misdemeanors, and now all we've got to see is well, the fire's gone out. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I mean, it, people in squash, fans, punters, they feed off talking points, and 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 to to not to not allow players to communicate, you know, and and to have a chance to to vent their frustrations, albeit you know there are limits. Then mm. um, I, I think that robs robs us of something. Absolutely. I, I think there there's a line, right? Um, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you don't want to be disrespectful and that can nope. happen a lot. As soon as you, uh, I mean, don't raise your voice too, I mean, too much and don't, you know, don't be disrespectful. I mean, those days with, with JP back, I mean, he, he really raised, he took it to another level and he was yeah, really, yeah, yeah. he never was that. I don't, didn't find him to be disrespectful. He just played his case really well. And it was funny um, for the most part. Right. Yeah. I, yep. And uh, with regard to Asal, I mean, he's never disrespectful. He's very actually mild mannered when it comes to officials. But some of the guys can get can get a bit rude and and get a bit, you know, just the tone of voice, tone of voice as well uh, yeah, yeah. is a, a big part of it. So I think yeah, yeah. if they if they you know with the Olympics coming up, I think that maybe the PSA just wants to try to clean up that element of it, which I would applaud. But I, I agree with you. I, you don't want to remove that from the game because it's such a big part of the, uh, of our game for however. I mean, the, I mean, squash officiating at the end of the day is subjective, right? So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it is. And uh, I mean, you, you get you had PJ saying, oh, that's an obvious stroke. And then the the official and the re- the the video review guy disagreeing with him. I mean, yeah, yeah. so it's just that that's the nature of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I've lost a count of the amount of times where, you know, in a key decision and they go to the the video ref and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a stroke and, well, it's a no let. 
You know, it's quite <laughs> it's quite amazing. You know, yeah. Um, so it, it is what it is. But you know, squash is a gladiatorial contest. It's a game of emotion. It's a game of intensity, ferocity, mm. and you know, we lose some theatre when we can't have, shall we say, in very commas conversations between the players. I just think you know you've you've got to give them the right to to actually voice some some feeling, some emotion, be able to engage, albeit. There is a line, as you said, Jerry. There is a line. Well, I mean, the, this match, uh, uh, the match, the great match between Gawad and uh, Rodriguez earlier. I mean, two guys, pretty, you know, they're they're not known for going oh, at absolutely. it with, with the officials, but they did uh, today. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it just goes to show, like, there was a bit of interference there. There were guys trying yeah. to get through, and yeah. you know, saying that the other guy was blocking him. I mean, that's yep. you got to plead your case. You got to have that window yeah, of yeah. opportunity to say, look, or you're going to be frustrated. Yeah, yeah. It's not like we're on two sides of the net, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. Uh, interesting stuff. Let's see how it plays out. But I, I, I hope that they do clean up some elements of it, but leave, uh-huh. you know, leave the banter, uh, a bit of banter yeah. in there, uh, and it'll yeah. be great spectacle for for the Olympics, uh, obviously coming yeah. up. Well, so. the other thing about you know too much sanitization, the character of the character of the players isn't allowed to come through then. Mm. And you know that that's all part of it. You know, I mean, I, I was brought up in tennis on Connors and McEnroe. You know, and <laughs> uh, and and obviously they both crossed the line uh, yeah. r- routinely. But you know what? There's great theatre. There's great oh, theatre. Yeah. Absolutely, know? and and they they got punished. I mean, what what was it? Mac McEnroe was just. Well, he was disqualified, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, the Wimbledon uh, match with the, the famous one where he said, "You, you cannot it? be serious. You cannot be serious." The ball, yeah. Uh, I mean that that was I mean power took a uh, there's a bit of John power power took a page from McEnroe's book there but but he yeah. wasn't disrespectful that he was just saying you can't be serious the ball hit yeah. the line that's what happened and that that's all we need right as soon as yeah, you get yeah. a bit, uh, disrespectful then it's a, a different it's gone story. too far yeah. All right. Well, RJ, give us, uh, I mean, I know we've got some exciting stuff coming up uh, uh, with you. I know you've let me uh, in a little bit and told me, so I'm really uh, excited to hear uh, uh, or excited to see what's coming up. Uh, Can you tell us, first of all, uh, uh, you had a great, I mean, I I mentioned this in my intro to the pod earlier. Uh, I I think Squash Mad, uh, when you were there, uh, the, the writing was just absolutely intriguing it was amazing uh, the stuff that you brought to the table there was, was fascinating and it, it was great reading so uh, thank you very I'm much looking forward looking forward to um what you have coming up so fill us in yeah well i'm delighted to say i've taken up a new role with the psa and um the psa have taken over squash player magazine <coughs> uh, which obviously has been the independent voice of squash for what 50 years um, and uh, it's still going to retain a bit of independence in that respect. So I've, I've taken on a new role as a, the content a, a contributor, creator, writer, whatever you want to call it, um, with Squash Player Magazine, and we are hoping that the new website will go live this week. So mm-hmm. there's going to be plenty of great content going up live on the website, um, which is going to be revamped. Um, we're almost there, uh, as well as in terms of publication in traditional format print. Um, so, yeah, I can't say how excited I am about that. I'm working a – my boss is Nathan Clark, who, of course, you'll know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. 
Uh, so yeah, really good. An, an Irishman and a Scotsman. Uh, I wonder how long that'll last. Eh? Bastable. <laughs> well, Scotland have still <laughs> exactly. Scotland have still go, got to go to Dublin for the rugby in a fortnight. So yes, yeah, never mind. Um, so uh, we've already been uh, stockpiling a lot of good stuff, um, and uh, all credit to Nathan. Great idea. A uh, a series of interviews which I've been referring to being an ex-policeman as the expert witness. So basically, this is somebody who has either had a rivalry, has played or has had first-hand knowledge of a great champion from one era and then has had unique insight, access, a role with another great champion. So the, the first one I'll share with you is Derek Ryan. Of course, mm -hmm. uh, the world PSA's uh, head physio um former world number seven, um, and a regular foe of Jan Khan, but also the strength and conditioning coach not so long ago to Ali Farag. Mm. So unique access to two great champions, two great champions referred to as arguably the best movers, certainly of the modern era. So, you know, we've got Derek comparing them, this, how they work and all the rest of it and how, uh, you know, their movement, but also we, we, we even managed to coax a, a verdict in terms of a, the fantasy matchup, you know, if oh, say, yeah. they, say they two prime time, a prime time Jansher against a prime time Ali Farag met in the Olympic final in LA in 28, who wins? Wow. So we managed, we managed to get, love uh, to see that. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we managed to get Derek's thoughts of that. So, um, uh, earlier this week, I just had the supreme uh, pleasure of of speaking to Liz Irving, um, okay, cool. former world number two, a well British and world runner up, um, and of course, a great rival of Sarah Fitzgerald, who has many supporters in terms of being the greatest ever woman player of her own, but the coach of Nicole David. Yeah. So, what's Liz Irving's thoughts on, you know, how these players were, what were their strengths, what made them the great champions, and does she give us a verdict on who wins the, the, the ultimate head-to-head, -head, or does she sit in the fence? So, there we go. There you go. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that, we've already got a, a, a Jansha Khan. Uh, I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to speak to Jansha uh, quite regularly, and uh, he's uh, put the key in the lock, opened the door, and said, Hamza Khan, if you're going to be the next great Pakistani champion, I can help you. So you, you need yeah. to write, you need to read the squash player website to see what Uncle Jancher's got to say. Um, but I would I would be if, hopefully we go live this week and hopefully that particular piece will be up this week. So Peter Marshall, been speaking to him, a mm. uh, lot lots of interesting stuff from him. I already alluded to some of that on uh, you know being being the number two and chasing a dominant one in terms of Diego and Ali and what what it was like for him with Jancha. Um, wow, you know we've got so many so many things, uh, and then. Um, yeah, the, the other the other thing which is supremely exciting is that of course last Wednesday, twenty first of February, the PSA turned fifty. Yes. Every month now, the next twelve months, there's going to be a, a legends interview, um, both from the men's and women's game. And again, I must credit Mister Clark here. Um, a great idea. So what we're going to do is. We're going to have two supreme rivals talking about each other, and then we're going to have somebody else from that generation looking in and giving us their thoughts on that rivalry 
And if I can get them to come out with who comes out on top, uh, then uh, happy days. So next week to kick off the series in the men's game, uh, very fittingly, we'll have two, in fact, we'll have all three of the men who set up the first professional governing body in squash, ISPA, International yeah. Squash Player Association. And they were Jonah Barrington, mm. Jeff Hunt and Ken Hisco. Oh, okay. So okay. The, the, the rivalry is Jonah and Jeff, and we've got them both talking about each other and what they found t- tough against each other. And then we've got Ken Hisco, who played them both, um, was John, was Jeff Hunt's mentor on the way through. Uh, it was nine years older than Jeff and only a couple of years older than Jonah. Played them both. And then we've got him giving us, giving us his verdict, how he saw what it was like for him against them and who he would back if, if you know, we, when we come down to the, the bottom line. So really, really enjoyed that. Uh, it's, you know, it's been a privilege to speak to these guys. I mean, Ken Hisco is 86 and I, I got him the other night at a... Uh, uh, about half past 11 uh, Scotland time uh, and what was that 10am 10.30 Sydney time and he had to pull off the freeway uh, to put his phone on charger while he's sitting in the lay by <laughs> to see the you kidding me you know absolutely yeah, yeah. Brilliant. and then in the ladies side <clears throat> um, we've got, we've got a, a little bit of variety here so we've got Heather Mackay and of course the great problem for Heather and her career is she never really had a rival because mm. she was so dominant. But I've been lucky enough to speak to a lovely lady called Marion Jackman, who played her in the first ever women's world final in 1976 in Brisbane. Uh, and Marion played her a few times. And uh, yeah, so we've got them, Marion talking about Heather, very interesting. Um, and also what that first women's world open final was like. Mm. Um, and uh, we also have, uh, we've unearthed a, a uh, YouTube documentary by a, a young fellow called Oliver who managed to get a panel of five great female champions, one of whom Sarah Fitzgerald, uh, others um, Angela Smith, uh, Rhonda Thorne, um, Sue Cogswell, I think. Uh, and they've given, we, we got the opinions of these ladies on uh, Heather Mackay, which is great. But to top it all off, We've got the opinions of Jeff Hunt and Jonah Barrington on Heather okay. because okay. they were here and they know, you know, I thought that was a, it's a unique perspective. Jeff Hunt's sister, Patricia, actually played Heather uh, Mackay in a major final in Australia. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, so I mean, that, I, mean that, I, would, I would imagine that, Jeff, you know, Jeff has a, they both have unique perspectives on it. Obviously, uh, Jonah, you know, has his spin and, and his spin is really, it's always very interesting. And then Jeff, obviously, being in Australia for, for a lot of it would have uh, would be yeah. privy to, to uh, many things. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's just been fascinating. The overlap then with these two immortals and, and Heather Mackay and um, uh, Jonah actually sent me a copy of his book, the book of Jonah, which was written in 72 after his second and final Great British Open final against Jeff Hunt, which he won. The book of Jonah? The book of Jonah, yes. yes. My, uh, yeah, but what about murder on the squash court? Oh, jeez. Now, that, that <laughs> book gives me nightmares. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so and I, 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 so I've been reading that to get you know to put a bit more detail in it because obviously uh, memories can differ when fifty years between the the day and 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 then the review. 
So, uh, yeah, so that's been fascinating. So that's that's next week uh, mm. out, coming out on PSA website. And then every month we'll have Immortals. I can tell you that I've already got Jan Khan and Ross Norman in the can. Uh, pardon the pun. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, hopefully we'll have Jahanga. So it'll be Janshar on Jahanga, Jahanga on Janshar and Ross Norman looking in. So that's right. uh, that. That's still to come. So for me, certainly as a journalist, I can't tell you how exciting it is to be speaking to these people, and uh, it's just an absolute joy. And I think we've got some great content. Um, going back to squash player, the the emphasis is really going to be on quality and depth. Um, it's not going to be wham bam looking for sensational headings. It's you know there's we want insight and and, and this is the, this is the key. This probably will be the the kind of challenge for me as a journalist, particularly when speaking to players today, because you you need insight. Um, you know the reader the reader has got to be engaged. You know, has got to feel that you know they're almost inside the player's mind, and they uh, you know so. And and obviously, if you're a current player, you don't want to give too much away, you know. So no. <laughs> the, the, this is the challenge for the journalist. But uh, when you're talking to the champions, that's a different story, you know. That's a different story, and that's what's great about speaking to them because they, you know, to to a certain extent, they'll shoot from the lip, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, Uncle Ken Hisco, he he's still shooting from the lip, and he's eighty six. Yeah, you know? that, that'd be Absolutely. fascinating. I'm looking forward to that, RJ. I can't yeah. wait. Is that well, so? I hope uh, I, that's yeah. come. Uh, the website will will launch uh, next week. Yeah, I, I very yeah. much hope so. Yeah, ninety nine percent certain and, uh, on that. Yeah, so uh, yeah, because, uh, you know, it's it's very exciting, especially the amount of work that's going on to get getting the content together, uh, so that we've got a really good stockpile ready to go. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, the 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 well, content to me is as as good as uh, as anything that, that I, I've produced and uh, it's just uh, it's an absolute joy to be producing it for a uh, squash player and, and for a uh, PSA you know that's exciting and uh, you know squash really needs that we need to look back at the history of our game not only uh, look at uh, you know the the the, the PSA tour as it stands now, but look back at the history and yep. uh, really looking forward to that and everything else. Squash player, the website will uh, launch and uh, you know, it, the magazine itself is uh, has been around for 50 years, as you said. Yep. So this is really exciting to bring, uh, bring the website back sort of uh, on, bring the magazine online and yep. uh, go from there. RJ, Again, fantastic stuff. Uh, really appreciate you and your time. And uh, let's uh, let's do it again. I'm looking forward Absolutely. to uh, at some point down the road. Let's uh, let's catch up mid season or towards the end of the season. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. No, well, you you know where I am, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, buddy. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Jerry. Appreciate your time. Take care.